Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. You may be seated, and all God's people said, boy, I tell you what, I hope you're listening to what we're singing today. It's, that's the truth of God's Word. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 today as we push on through this. We're talking about Working together with God. Workers together with God. And, and today is, is part two of that. Now, we've looked at what it involves last time to be a worker with God. What is involved? Today, we're going to talk about what can we expect? What can we expect once we choose to be a worker together with God? Now, the Apostle Paul introduced that theme in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, and working together with him. I tell you what, the thrill of being allowed to work together with God ought to overwhelm every one of us today, that God would choose us. What is man that God is mindful of him, the psalmist says. You see, Christianity is not going to church on the weekend and, and just uh, having a Bible study from here it, it, sometime or another. Even though it involves those kind of things, that's not. Christianity is moment by moment, breath by breath, walking and working together with God. That's that relationship that we have. It's just so different than any religion of this world. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Christ lives in us, the life inside the coat, to do through us what we could never do ourselves. We are the vessel, and he is our enabling power to be what he desires for us to be. Now, as long as we do not receive the grace of God in vain, then we have the privilege of working with him. Paul cautioned the Corinthian believers who needed this very desperately not to receive, in verse 1, the grace of God in vain. Receiving the grace of God in vain is when a believer becomes so focused with himself that he's not willing to yield to the will and to the way of the Lord. God doesn't use selfish believers who are only interested in what benefits them. He does not use them. When a believer receives the grace of God in vain, he misses out on the opportunity to see people reconciled to God. He's not a usable part. God wants to use us. We've been given, like Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. We're his ambassadors in this hostile imperial province down here called the, the world today. And everywhere we go, everything that we do should echo that purpose. 
in our life. But when we get overwhelmed with ourselves, we, we miss out on the greatest opportunity we could have ever had. Paul uses a quote in verse 2 of chapter 6 out of Isaiah, the 49th chapter, to teach the Corinthian believers that the opportunity, the opportunity was right in front of them. He wanted them to realize that there was a wide open window. He makes a statement and quotes out of Isaiah, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. The unique thing is today to you and I in the 21st century, we're still living in that window of opportunity. Now is the day of salvation because the Lord Jesus has come to make that possible in people's lives. The window is wide open for people to come to Christ. And as again, we're his ambassadors with the ministry of reconciliation. The only thing, the only thing that can keep us from working together with him and to be about the purpose for which he has for us while we're still on this earth is when we become focused on ourselves. What's in it for me? As it was in Paul's day, there are many believers in our day that are squandering the opportunity that is ours in this time. Paul continues to exhort the Corinthian believers by reminding them that if that selfish lifestyle is there, it's going to show up. And then that automatically discredits what we're saying. He says in verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul uses his own life as his example, but he teaches us that our walk has got to match our talk. We just can't say it. We've got to live it. In the phrase, giving no cause for offense in anything, the word offense there is the word proscopy, which literally means to cause one to stumble. He says we don't want to intentionally have anything in our life that causes somebody to stumble. The ministry he refers to would be the ministry of reconciliation. For us to be ambassadors, for us to have this ministry of reconciliation, we don't want anything in the way that causes others to stumble. Now, whatever Paul had in mind, and we could make a list today that would take several pages of what could be in our life that would cause people to stumble, but whatever it was he had in mind, whatever it, that caused it, would cause his ministry to be discredited, he did not allow it in his life, whatever that was. Paul's walk, once again, matched his talk. This is what I love about studying the Apostle Paul, and you notice that by the fact that I study a lot of his epistles. In 2 Corinthians 1.12, he's already set the stage for this. He says, for our proud confidence is this, this tes the testimony of, of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially, he says, towards you there at Corinth. Well, we left off last week with Paul saying in verse 4, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. The word commending there in the phrase commending ourselves is the word sinistomy. Sinistomy means literally to place with or to stand with, but here means to put on display for everybody to see. Now here's what Paul's saying. Paul said, I want it to be so conspicuous to everyone that I'm a servant of God, I'm a co-worker, with him. And you know what it was that, that really is the bottom line of what made him so conspicuous? 
was not just the hardships, that's part of it, but the fact that he was willing to bear up under them and the strength that God gave him to do that. We're going to talk about those hardships today. And we're going to, you're going to understand why the song service led us like it did. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my sickness. Because what Paul is going to tell us today is what you and I can expect when we become co-workers with God. <clears throat> but the beautiful thing about it, Christ in Paul kept him alive and well. It kept him bearing up under whatever it was that came their way. And when people looked at Paul, they didn't just see him. They saw the one he was a co-worker with. They saw Christ in him. And that's what continued to let his walk match his talk. The word endurance, he adds that little phrase to the end of verse 4. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance. Now the word endurance there is the word ipomone. It means to remain up under, uh, to bear up under, whatever comes one's way. You can say it a different way. Christ in Paul enabled him to stick with the stuff. And that's just so beautiful about his life. Paul adds the word much, much endurance. Now, if you've got much endurance, you've got a lot of hardships you have to deal with. And this is where he's leading us in the text. The word much is the Greek word polis, which means a great amount Paul's life was ever lived. It was, for, it was lived in such a way that no one ever accused him of being a quitter. Never. Life couldn't get too tough for him to bail out on the Lord and let God be who he is in his life. And life was hard for Paul. And I'm sure many of you are thinking, how hard was it for Paul, Wayne? Well, <laughs> that's our text today. There are three types of hardships that Paul endured. Because of Christ living in him, Paul endured these three kinds of hardships that we want to look at today. And, and, and really, he, he's letting us know that all of us are going to have to deal with some of these, or maybe all of them, at some point in our Christian walk. What can we expect? You know, when you turn on the television, I spent some days with Diana this past week, and we had a wonderful time up Pagosa Springs. What a gorgeous place. We'd never seen that before. But while we were there, they had a TV and we watched some of the religious programming, and I heard a man say, and it just grates on my heart. He said, the reason our church is so big and so many people come is that we tell them things that they, they want to hear. We don't tell them what they don't want to hear. They hear enough bad stuff during the week. We don't want to tell them anything but the good things when they come together. And I thought to myself, how unrealistic can a person be? Do we understand that we live in a hostile world? How many of us understand that this morning? It's a hostile world. We're living in darkness. In his first epistle to the Corinthians, he says, we have been made light. Now, what kind of fellowship does light have with darkness? Anybody want to stand up and say, oh, it's fun, Wayne. It's wonderful. We can be three. Oh, listen. The conflict begins the moment we surrender to Christ. The moment we become a co-worker with him, the moment we begin to walk in, in harmony with him and his will in our life is immediate when the conflict begins. And at least we can look at Paul and say, thank you, Paul, for telling us the truth of what we can expect if we're a co-worker with God. There are three things, three levels that he talks about. First of all, we can expect to have to endure inevitable pressure, inevitable pressure pressure. Every believer is going to have to go through this. It begins by mentioning three things that have to do 
with stressful situations which are very common to most believers. He says, in afflictions, in hardships, and in distresses. The word affliction there is the word thelipsis. Now, we, we have seen this word before. Uh, it's to be pressed in from all sides. It's when the difficulties seem to be coming from every angle, and you feel like you're pushed in, and you're pushed into a, to a narrow place. In fact, it's translated sometimes in, in some Greek text, narrow place. It means you're, you're, you're so pressed in, you feel like you're going to just explode. It's that which comes from without. You didn't ask for it. It comes as a result of your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it begins to press in on you. Now, all of us, all of us are going to have to bear this from time to time just from the fact that we're believers and we're willing to confess that to others. Now, at times, this kind of pressure he speaks of, affliction, can be life-threatening. Now, this was the case in chapter 1 in verse 8 of our study in 2 Corinthians. Paul had to face potential death in Asia, and it really caused him a lot of concern. In verse 8 of chapter 1, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, there's your word, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. You see, it can be, come from very hostile people. It, it can put us in life-threatening situations. But it doesn't have to be that particular type of stress. There's other kinds of anguish and stress that come and, and press us in, causing us much grief on the inside. Uh, this was the kind of affliction that, that uh, Paul had varied experiences with. For instance, he, he, he was so concerned for the believers at Corinth because they wouldn't obey God. Now, you wouldn't think that that would cause affliction, but it does. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you are a leader of any kind, you know exactly what he's going to talk about right here. The, the affliction, you, it's like it, you t take it personally. You're teaching people what it means to walk with God, and then you witness what comes out of their mouth, and you witness the way they behave, and it just kills you. And It's like a, a crushing a load from each side pushing you in and you it's hard to endure it's hard to bear only christ in us can enable us to do that second corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4 paul mentions this kind of affliction he says for out of much affliction there's our word and anguish of heart i wrote to you with many tears not so that you would be made more sorrowful, but that you might know the love which i especially have for you there's something tender and precious that crushes a person that wants the best for somebody else. Imagine how Jesus felt in John 8 when he spoke the hard, difficult things and the crowd left and would never come back. I mean, it's, that, it's a crushing blow. It's, you may have children in your family that you want to know Christ and you want them to walk with Christ and they turn and spit in your face and walk away and it crushes you. It's, it's that affliction that comes from without. But the interesting thing about Paul is because Christ lived in him, all of the affliction he had to bear, whether it be life-threatening or whatever, the Apostle Paul called it light affliction. He had a bigger picture of what was going on. It didn't matter what he had to go through. It mattered what God was doing through him. It says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4, for momentary, he looked at it as momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Even though it was difficult, even though it was hard in his life, 
He said, I just want Christ to be seen in me. That's the eternal weight of glory that God was producing in him. A worker with God can expect these kinds of stressful conditions to come. But in the midst of it, because Christ lives in him, he doesn't quit. He doesn't bail out just because it's tough. He allows Christ to manifest his life in and through him, no matter what he had to go through. The second word that he uses here is the word hardships, which in the Greek is the word anagki. It's oddly enough, it's kind of interesting. The word means that which is necessary. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Wayne. You mean hardships are necessary? Yes. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In a good sense, it's the necessary hardships we endure because of what compels us to live the way we live. Uh, When we simply obey, this necessarily brings hardships many times into our lives. You say, give me an example of that, Wayne. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Paul was warned in Acts by, by many of the people, but especially the prophet Agabus came down and said, listen, if you go to Jerusalem, buddy, Let me tell you what's going to happen. And he bound his hands and bound his feet. He said, but they're going to treat you in a bad way. But you see, the apostle Paul felt led of the Spirit to go on to Jerusalem. He went anyway, knowing, knowing that necessarily because of the choice he made, there were going to be hardships that were going to come in his life. And surely, that's when he was put into prison, and you know the rest of the story. I mean, that's when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. I mean, he was there almost five years in prison. They warned him. They told him. But he went out of obedience, and the hardship that came was necessary because of the choice that he made. Now, in a negative sense, it can be the hardship that we go through when someone tries to force us to do what would please God, what would not please God, what would displease him. You see, when we choose not to go with the world, automatically there's a necessary hardship that's going to go along with that choice. We're going to have to take the blow. We're going to have to take the consequence of making the choice not to go with the world, but to obey God. The pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Romania, Aradia, largest church in Europe, it used to be called the Second Baptist Church of Aradia, spoken there many times. Cornell, the pastor there, when I first met him, was a deacon. And his wife contracted leukemia, beautiful, beautiful lady. And they tried everything to get her some medical help. Well, under communist countries, <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's not a lot of help for the people, even though they say it's for the people. That's ridiculous. And so they found a place in London, and he went to the communist authorities to say, listen, will you allow us to go over to London to get a special treatment for my wife? Because she has leukemia. We want to get a transfusion, and perhaps that will give her longevity or longer time to live. And they said, oh, that'd be fine if you'll just sign this little piece of paper. And he looked at it and read through it. And what it said was, you must deny the Lord Jesus as being your Lord, as being God. You must deny. And basically, everything he had preached, everything he had stood for, he had to sign a paper that says he totally disagreed with it and that he completely disavowed that in his life. He took the paper in front of the communist officials. There was his wife, as sick as she could be, tore them up, put them in a trash can, and his wife hugged him because they were together. They walked out of the room, and they necessarily had to endure hardship because of the choice they were willing to make to please the Lord God and not disavow what they had believed. That's what the word is. It's the hardship that comes because of the choices we make to be co-workers with God, and they're necessary. You can't live in a hostile world without having them. 
And unless we're going to make those kinds of choices, then we don't understand the hardship that he's talking about. The third word that Paul mentions that all of us can expect is the word distresses. He says, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in verse 4, in much endurance. And then he says, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. Now, the word distresses in the Greek is the word stenochorea. Now, this word means the inner anguish and the discomfort that one goes through when pressure comes from without. Now, make sure you understand the difference. Stenos means narrow. Kora means a space. It's a narrow space. Now, this is very similar to the word affliction, the lepsis. Very, very similar. But the difference is this. Whereas affliction, Philipsis is talking about what's coming in. It's putting the pressure on us from the outside. Stenochorea is the inner anguish that's caused as a result of what's going on out here. So Paul says basically what he has had to go through. And this really put the stamp of, of approval on him from God that he was a co-worker with God that Christ in him enabled him to bear up under. He didn't quit. He didn't bail out. He didn't get mad at God. He didn't shake his fist in God's face. He didn't become bitter because of the difficult things in his life. But he endured. He endured. In Christ, we're able to endure, to bear up under. Why? Because he saw the ministry of reconciliation as a much bigger picture. He wasn't focused just on himself. He was focused on what God was doing as a result of the suffering God had allowed to come in his life. So inevitable stress. Somebody becomes a brand new believer in our church. Wants to know, what can I expect? Inevitable stress. If you're going to walk with God, you must understand affliction hardships, and the, the distresses that are going to come in your life. Secondly, he moves it to a different level. And here he talks about we're going to have to endure undeserved persecution. Undeserved persecution. In verse 5, he says, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults. Now, in our first group, Paul dealt with the general stress that every believer is going to have to go through when he gets serious about being a believer and trusting God. But in this list, he deals with three things that sometimes we may have to deal with, but it's not as common as the first list that he mentions. Sometimes we're going to have to go through the pain that's going to be caused because we're believers from the legal authorities and also from the religious authorities. In beatings is the first thing he mentioned. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22, Luke describes how Paul and Silas were beaten with rods before the Roman magistrates in Philippi. It says in Acts 16, 22, the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Now, the interesting thing is, in that instance, Paul could have... Uh, demanded legal protection because he was a Roman citizen. And if you know that passage, you remember when they found that out, after they had beaten him, they quickly wanted him out of town to save face. They didn't realize he was a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen, you could not beat a Roman citizen until he stood trial. And they didn't stand trial. They just went ahead and beat him. But to save face, they wanted him out of town. But in chapter 11 of our text, 2 Corinthians, Paul reveals that in total... Now listen to this. The religious Jewish authorities were worse in their torture of him than the Romans were. The Jewish leaders flogged him five times while the Romans only beat him with rods 
three times. Now, he was referring to the Jews in verse 24 of, of 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now, that was a cat of nine tails and had all the, the metal in it would just rip the skin right off a person's body. Forty lashes was considered the death sentence. And he says five times they only gave me 39 each time because 40 would have killed me. Five times. Referring to the Romans in that passage in verse 25, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. So Paul could claim that he had been flogged more severely than anybody else you've studied except for Jesus by both religious and legal authorities of that day. But not only flogging. The next thing he mentions is imprisonments. He says in verse 5, in beatings and imprisonments. We know that Paul was jailed frequently because of 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23. Are they servants of Christ? Speaking of the false apostles, I speak as if I'm insane. He says, I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more, and he puts imprisonment in the plural, imprisonments. Now, what, what, what were all these imprisonments? We don't know them all. We know, however, that he was in prison when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. We talked about that. We know that he was in prison right before being martyred for the faith in 2 Timothy. And it's the saddest thing. He wrote Timothy and he said, oh, Timothy, I'm lonely. Come see me before it's winter. He was in a hole. Onesiphorus, he couldn't even find him when he went over there. I mean, it wasn't like the first imprisonment. They just stuck him in a rat-infested hole in the ground before they martyred him, took his life. He said, Timothy, send me my coat. I'm cold. He said, and Timothy, bring me some parchments. Bring me something to read or to write on. He said, I'm just so bored. I'm here by myself. But I hear the health, wealth, junk that comes across the, the airways. Oh, you can be healthy. You can be wealthy. You tell that the apostle Paul who died without a penny in his pocket, poverty stricken in our world's terms today, but full of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imprisonments, he says. The word tumult is the word akastasia. Akastasia, Lord say. Thanks, Wayne, really blessed us. Akastasia. It refers to public disorder and to a riot. Anytime you ever wanted to find Paul in the New Testament, look for the nearest jail or listen for the riot that's going on somewhere. He's right in the middle of it. The, word either the world either responds or that reacts to the message of reconciliation. Specifically to the fact that God was in Christ. Christ was God reconciling the world to himself. People can't stand that. They re rebel against that. And it causes a lot of pain to the people who preach it. Riots were a common occurrence in Paul's life as a reaction. And it was from hostile religious groups. It was from legal groups. It was from everybody that was there because, because of the message Paul faithfully preached. As an example of this was what happened to him in Ephesus. And I know you know this story. At Acts 19, 29, he had seen so many people come to Christ that they stopped buying those little statues of Artemis. I've been to Ephesus and they had those shops going up to the top where they had that big temple up there. And they stopped buying the little gods because they got saved. She's not their God. And the people cried out, Artemis, Artemis, the God of the Ephesians. And they had a big riot. And it says in verse 29, the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. They couldn't find Paul. They got his companions and drugged them into an arena, a very hostile crowd. Another example of this is in Acts 21, 30 through 32, when the religious leaders 
could not stomach the message of grace. I want to, I want to tell you something. People that, that love religion cannot stand the message of living grace. They cannot stand it because they still want it to be up to them. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can. And the same attitude was going on in Paul's day, and they couldn't stand it. And some Jews from Asia Minor saw Paul at the temple, and they spread a lie. They spread a lie, and they knew what was going to happen. And that lie said, that he had taken a Gentile beyond the wall of partition. The wall of partition was where a Gentile could not go beyond inside the temple. It had a sign that says, any Gentile that goes beyond this wall is under the penalty of death. And they lied. They said he took a Gentile by the name of Trophimus and took him beyond that wall. Stirred up the city. It says in Acts 21, 30, then all the city was provoked and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut while they were seeking to kill him. A report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And the soldiers arrested Paul to protect him. Then a plan got out to assassinate him. And they discovered it. 200 soldiers at night took him down to Caesarea. At Caesarea, he was stuck there, left alone, forgotten for two years. Then he was taken to Rome and four years of his life was spent as a result of a crowd that couldn't stomach the message of grace. So you say, Wayne, I'm a brand new believer. What can I expect? What can I expect? Oh, I'm so excited. And I can tell you, you'll have joy like you've never known before because it's all in Christ. The fruit of his spirit is love, joy, peace. And I can go through the, the characteristics there. But I can also say to you, by the authority of the word of God, when you start living, and being serious with God, working and walking together with Him, you can expect inevitable pressure, the stress that's going to come to you, whether it's hostile or whether or not it's agony in your heart because of, of believers that won't walk with God. But it's also you may have to endure undeserved persecution. You know, when I talk about this, most people in America back up and say, well, I'm sure I'm glad we're living over here. And we forget completely that more Christians have been martyred for the faith in the last 25 years than in the history of Christianity. And here we sit, and we are healthy, and some of us are healthy, and some of us are wealthy, whatever, but we're, we're living in a country where we're free to come to church. You know one of the interesting things to that is? People don't even want to come when they have the freedom to come. And yet, Right around or right across the ocean, it's entirely opposite. You know, folks, we don't have religious freedom in America. I don't care what anybody says. We have religious tolerance. I don't know if you know it or not, but the fuse is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I wonder what's going to happen to churches that entertain everybody that comes when the real crisis comes to our country. You see, we need to start waking up and understanding what we can expect when you are walk together with God and when you work together with God. It's not fun. I don't enjoy preaching it because I'm in the midst of it too. Thirdly, we can expect to endure bodily privation. Paul says, he adds in 2 Corinthians 6, 5, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in hunger. Now, the last three comprise these uh, intense bodily privations that we will all face at one time or another simply out of our willingness to obey God and be a co-worker with him. It's, volu it's voluntary. It comes as a result of a voluntary choice. 
Paul says, labors, sleeplessness, and in hunger. First of all, Paul mentions labors. The word labors is the word in the Greek kopos, which means weariness from heavy toil. It's when one works so hard that his body is weary. You know, since I've been here, there have been many people that misunderstand living grace. I hear people tell me, well, Wayne, you, you preach it as if it's passive. Now, if, if you're hearing that, that's not what I'm preaching. I have said a hundred times since I've been here, you get in touch with God, you yield to him, he'll wear you out. You'll never be burned out, but you'll be worn out because he will absolutely put on you the heavy responsibility that he lives within you to enable that obedience to him. It's not passive at all. Paul is talking about his own laboring until he was dead tired and totally worn out. And by the way, just because you have a work ethic doesn't mean you're a believer. <laughs> a lot of people have work ethics because work has become their God. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's just simply trying to show the credibility of what Christ has been doing in his life. Paul labored to support himself. Isn't it interesting? He championed churches paying their pastors. He championed that. He taught that. But he, he, he violated his own rule by, by choice. He said, you know, I go to pagan people. They don't understand what I'm doing, so I choose not to be paid by them. I choose to be bivocational. I'm going to be a tent maker to provide funds for what I do. And he worked until he was worn out. Paul labored to support himself because he wanted to be financially independent. In Acts 18 and verse 3, when he met Priscilla and Aquila, this is right when the church of Corinth was, was, was originated there, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. He says, Aquila and Priscilla, he's talking about. They worked hard. It says in Acts 20, 34 and 35, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard, there's your idea, in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's much more blessed to give than it is to receive. In Ephesus, he labored to defray expenses. He labored to help the poor. And not only that, he taught the disciples in the hall of Tyrannus there daily. He was a busy man. Acts 19, 9 through 10. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them. This is interesting. He didn't waste his time on them. If they don't want to hear, fine. And he took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And at the same time, God had him doing something else. God had him going from house to house to exhort both Jews and Gentiles to repent and to believe. Acts 20, verse 20 and 21, how did I not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's, these things can be expected. It can be tiresome. If some of you are going on mission trips down to, to Long Beach, you're going to see some tiresome days. I mean, it, it, it's a lot of sweat that goes into this, but it's, it's all according to the power that works within you. Paul says in Colossians 1.29, I labor and I strive according to the power that works within me. So it's not just his strength, it's God enabling him and strengthening him. Paul writes that he never stopped warning the Ephesians night and day with tears. This was the mental focus of this. It was much harder than the physical. It always is. 
It says in verse 31 of Acts 20, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And from his own testimony, trying to come against the false prophets of that day, he says, Therefore be on the alert. I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So don't ever credit Paul. Don't you ever pat him on the back. It's by the grace of God in him. But his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So, so what can you expect? If I'm going to be a worker together with God, there's going to be some tiring days. There's going to be some weariness that's going to come as a result of what God leads me, even in that which he strengthens me. <clears throat> but not only in labors. Paul mentions in verse 5, sleeplessness. Paul knew that it was like what it was like to lose sleep. Uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. That sleepless word is only used twice, and as Paul uses it. So we don't know specifically what it was that caused him to go night after night without sleep. Perhaps it was due to his burden to pray. This is a beautiful thing about Paul. Like the Lord Jesus in Luke 6, 12 says, It was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. He told the Philippians, I pray for you always. And so he was, maybe that was what caused his sleeplessness. I don't know, but he knew it. Whatever the situations were that caused sleeplessness, it came as a result of Paul being a worker together with God. The last thing Paul mentions is hunger. Again, Paul brings this up in chapter 11, and he adds thirst to the list there. He says in verse 27, I have been in labor and hardship of chapter 11. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food. You know, Paul, Paul was a unique guy. In 1 Corinthians 4.11 says, To this present hour we're both hungry and thirsty, and we're poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and we're homeless. Boy, that just really commutes to the 21st century idea of what Christianity has done. As a co-worker with God, the beautiful thing about Paul was he had learned to go with the flow. Whatever God wanted was fine with him because he saw the bigger picture, the ministry of reconciliation, his being an ambassador for Christ. Didn't matter what he had to do. Didn't matter what he, the pain he had to endure. He says in Philippians 4.12, now listen to this. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. He'd been on both sides of the fence. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. You see, Christ in Paul led him at times in his life. He didn't have anything. Other times in his life, he had a lot. Sometimes he had food all over the table, couldn't eat it all. Other times he didn't have a crumb that he could, he could eat. Paul had been in both times. He knew that wherever God led him, remember back in the early part of 2 Corinthians, he's chained to the chariot. So it doesn't matter. He's always walking in the victory that God gave to them. Well, he, he lets us in on the fact, I believe, in this passage of what we will have to expect to face at some point in time as we walk and we work together with the Lord Jesus. Inevitable pressure, undeserved persecution, and mainly from the religious crowd, bodily privation as co-workers with God. But whatever comes our way, God in us enables us to endure 
which puts a stamp of approval on the fact that we're genuine and we're truly called to do what God's called us to do. We bear up under. Paul was a co-worker with God. And no matter what came his way, he kept his focus because, again, he saw the bigger picture. I don't know about you, but I love Romans chapter 8. may not bless you this morning, but just kind of humor me because it blesses me when I read it. These are my favorite verses in Scripture. So precious. Romans 8, 30 through 39. Listen, listen to what a man who's real, a man who truly understands what Christianity is. Not a man playing games and wanting church to serve him, but a man who's a co-worker with God. Listen to what he writes. And these whom he predestined, verse 30, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. He sees way in the future. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, and the emphasis here is on the word who. Who? is against us. He says, he says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns and points a finger? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who? will separate us from the love of Christ. And then he puts the what? Listen to the words. Will tribulation or distress, all these we've looked at, or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then he says, just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Quote out of the Old Testament. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what we have to face, no matter it's the common stresses that come in, no matter it's the uh, undeserved persecution from people in places of authority, whether religious or legal, or whether it not be just those hardships that come from saying yes to Christ. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. Therefore, in Christ, we're able to endure, and we stick with the stuff, and we don't bail out just because it's hard. He saw the bigger picture. In Western Africa, it was 14 years before one convert was received into the church. In East Africa, it was 10 years before one convert. In New Zealand, nine years before one baptism and two more before another came. In Tahiti, it was 16 years before the first harvest. William Carey labored seven years before the first Hindu convert was baptized. In Burma, Judson toiled for seven years before he had one convert. Once writing to England, Judson said, beg the churches to have patience. If a ship were here to carry me to any part of the world, I would not leave my field. Tell the brethren, success is as certain as the promise of a faithful God can make it. You see the bigger picture? 
ambassadors for Christ, with a ministry of reconciliation. But Wayne, look at all the hardships you go through in being a part of this. And Paul would say, glory, glory. Always see the bigger picture. Don't ever look at what's happening to you. Paul says it's not even worth talking about compared to the glory that's going to come one day. He saw the bigger picture. And that's the beauty of being a worker together with God. So we need each other, don't we, to pray for one another. Because all of these things we'll all go through from one time or another. What can you expect? What can you expect? For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.